the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. You're listening to the Dennis Prager Show, and I thank you uh, for doing so. I should really, I think I need to warn you about this hour. I, I think I do. I know for a fact, and I don't say this with any happiness, I don't say it with any, I don't relish this, please know that. But I do know that this will upset a, a percentage of my listeners. And, and specifically, I want to say, a percentage of listeners who really like me. And I'm aware of that, but I, I believe that you will understand me better, and the better you understand me, whether or not you agree with me, the, the more credibility I have and the better the show. And, and if nothing else, I hope it at least inspire you to, to think on an issue that Almost nobody in public life ever comments on in any way but negatively. And and here comes, except you know what, I really do believe in this instance, if I can find our drummer, because it, uh, it definitely deserves a drum roll. My dear friends, I would like to explain to you why I smoke. This is almost like saying to some, why I abuse children. <laughs> why I rob banks. <laughs> now let me make utterly clear, I do not smoke cigarettes. Never did. I smoke a pipe and I smoke cigars and I have since I'm 15 years old. So 40 years I've been smoking pipe and cigar. I have pictures of me in college with a pipe. And my father gave me my first cigar in my teens. My father, incidentally, has averaged about, I think, what is I have to ask him. I think he's averaged about six cigars or four to six cigars a day. And he's uh, 87 and in terrific health. I'm just commenting on that. I don't expect you to infer anything medical from it. I'm just explaining to you my own background. My mother smoked cigarettes and stopped, I don't know how many years ago, and she's doing well at uh, one year younger than my dad. Anyway, uh, I started pipe and cigars in uh, high school, and I have never ceased. And I I enjoy them both equally. If I had to be asked which one 
would I ha- give up if I had to give up one? I don't know. I would probably flip a coin. There are dis- distinctive joys from each. And some days I am totally in one mood and some days totally in the other. And in any event, I want to tell you why I do, because a lot of you believe that I'm intelligent and think that this is a gap in my intelligence. So I would like to explain to you, and I hope you will listen with an open mind, even if you differ with me. But I want to tell you that I have a lot of reasons why I have a, a, a daily, almost daily, on the road I tend not to when I travel to give my lectures. Uh, but uh, certainly at home, I will have a cigar or a pipe, and some on rare occasions, one of each on, on a given day. Like I'll start with a story, because this, uh, this is a part of it that I, I really do love. And that is, just, uh, just the other day, in fact, yesterday, I was with Alan, my dear producer and friend. We had a meeting, and the meeting place... The coffee shop was right next, by sheer coincidence, next to a cigar store. So I said, Alan, when the meeting was over, hey, let's go into the, let's have a cigar and uh, and talk. And for two hours, two hours, we smoked each hour cigar, which we picked out from the big humidor, and just had a spectacular conversation about everything in life. And it was, it was heavenly. It was heavenly. And as close as we are, and as much as we enjoy each other and talking, the cigar made it possible. The cigar allowed the time to be spent. Men in particular tend to talk with each other while doing something else much more so than women. We Even watching a ball game, and they will talk while watching a ball game, for example. Some will do it while having a drink. It's not my vice of choice, alcohol, because I just don't enjoy it. I have no judgment, none whatsoever, on those who responsibly drink. None. Enjoy yourselves. That's the only comment I have for those who enjoy drinking. And and don't uh, and don't overdo it. And uh, I'll tell you another thing about our uh, having our talk over the two over the the two cigars and that well one cigar each, and that was it was in a uh, it was in a cigar store by by sheer chance this was the one that was next to uh, the uh, next to the coffee shop which was uh, owned by an Arab guy from Lebanon, as it happens. And it, it, there were a number of Arab guys in there and a, and, a, and a couple of Jews and others sitting around, and we were all having the time of our lives, kidding each other and joking around and having a blast. Without the cigars, I don't know how that would happen. I mean, it, it, that's what afforded us the opportunity. And today, of course, people who do smoke uh, are, we are such a, a beleaguered minority that we immediately bond. Ethnic differences are, are nothing. 
nothing compared to the differences between those uh, who uh, smoke and don't smoke. And I love that that aspect of my cigar smoking, the social aspect. I have it with my older son. Dad, let's have a cigar together, and we have a terrific talk, a great Great talks. This has been a highlight of of our uh, of our father son relationship. It's not dependent upon cigars, but cigars have given us a tremendous opportunity to have these talks. Guys, don't say, "Hey, let's just sit outside and talk." Let's sit outside and have a cigar or have a drink, in the case of others. But but something. So the social aspect is a tremendous aspect that I love. The primary reason I smoke is because I so enjoy it. Now, this is something, the ignorance about smoking in this society is so deep that I just, I have to sometimes shut my ears to the staggering ignorance that people have about smoking. Number one, this will come as a revelation to many of you because of the 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 drowning in propaganda from the anti-smoking forces. There is nothing in common between a cigarette and, on the one hand, and a, and I'm not condemning cigarette smokers. I'm, I'm merely explaining. There is nothing in common. The only thing they have in common is that they have tobacco and fire. There is nothing else in common. Cigarettes are enjoyed solely for the inhaling that one does and whatever uh, a, a joy that w- that gives the smoker. I don't know that joy. I have never inhaled. This is not a Clintonian comment. I would cough my brains out if I ever inhaled, and I'm smoking for 40 years. The purpose of smoking a cigar or a pipe is taste, not the effect of inhaling. There is no effect. I my I don't ha- I, I my brain or whatever chemistry that I am aware of and I am good at biofeedback is not affected. It is a simple joy. It is an oral satisfaction, and it is a taste satisfaction. That is why cigars are judged on taste. How does it taste? Some of them are delicious. My pipe tobaccos are delicious. 1-8 Prager 776. 1-8 P-R-A-G-E-R 776. I will continue. I've never done this before. Why I smoke a pipe and a cigar. 1-8 Prager 776. You are listening to The Dennis Prager Show. Digitally, it's 877-243-7776. We return in a moment. You're listening to the Dennis Prager Show. I am devoting this hour to a subject that I I fully recognize, and I don't mean it's not my intention, will disturb many of you who like me. Forget many of you who don't like me. (laughs) That's a given. (laughs) I am explaining to you why a person you consider of good values, of fine mind, of clarity of thought, smokes. Again, I don't smoke cigarettes, never did. I smoke a cigar and I smoke a pipe, both since I am about 15 years of age. The, the amount of joy that they bring me is 
it's quite it's quite extensive. And I love joys that uh, can enhance one's life. I do. Uh, you may have yours, and I have mine. That is one of them. I have many such things, but that is certainly one of them. I spoke about the social reasons. Mentioning to you the two-hour talk over uh, cigars that I had uh, with Alan just yesterday, and the the camaraderie with the guys in the cigar store. I uh, mentioned to you the fact that it is taste, not some high. Let me deal with this nonsense about I'm addicted. The number of people who write to me, well, you defend it because you're addicted. The ignorance in those letters is is as great as if you wrote to me that the earth is flat. I am no more addicted to tobacco uh, than I am to, uh, I don't know, let me think of something that, than I am to Colgate toothpaste because I use Colgate every day. I assure you that I could easily use Crest or any other one. It's pretty much irrelevant to me. I think it's a fair analogy. Uh, It it is, it is, and in fact, I could, one way I could prove it is I, I so often don't you know, when I'm on the road. I don't on my Sabbath, the one one day a week, uh, and so every week for 24 hours I don't. I, I at least I don't. So it's a non-issue. I'm not addicted. It has nothing to do with the, with the effect of cigarettes. It's the taste, the taste, the taste. I love the taste. I love lighting it up. I love lighters. I love tamping the tobacco in my beautifully made pipe from Italy or Germany or Ireland or Denmark, my four favorite places of pipe making. English pipes are are a little too dry for me. I love tasting a new Turkish tobacco, a new Latakia, a new English blend. I love it. It's a joy. I like talking to the guys in the, in the, in the, the beleaguered folks who try to make a living honorably in the tobacco shops that Rob Reiner has tried to shut down in his totalitarian impulse in California, where they had, where they lumped uh, uh, cigars and uh, pipes together with cigarettes. Now, what about the risks? Dennis, what about the risks? Dennis, come on, Dennis, please. You ever hear of lip cancer, Dennis? All right, so you won't get lung cancer probably because you don't inhale. All right, that's true. That's cigars and pipes. Come on, Dennis. Lip cancer and uh, tongue cancer. And you know, folks, I'll tell you my answer to that. I know people who have had lung cancer, brain cancer, breast cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, just about everything I've never known, and my, my, I have a wide, extensive uh, web of contacts because I'm a public figure. I never knew anybody who had lip cancer or tongue cancer. Do they exist? Of course they exist. Is it a risk? Yes, it is a risk. So you know what? This is what I do with what most of you would acknowledge is a good mind. I sit down and I weigh the likelihoods. I do. And I have weighed that the joy was so much greater than the risk that I'm willing to take it. Just as many of you are with the joy of desserts that you will have. Though there is the risk of an early onset or earlier onset diabetes, 
of, of greater weight, a whole host of problems in eating desserts. All right, 1-8 Prager uh, 776, and let's uh, see how your... Uh, uh, how how you react to all of this? And we begin with uh, Samuel in uh, Houston. Hello, Samuel Dennis Prager. Hi, um, I listen to your show every day. Great, love your show. Great, great. I Thank just wanted you. to say I'm a university student, and the unfortunate reality is that on universities nowadays, a lot of people smoke weed, smoke marijuana. That's right. When I go to a party, I bring a cigar because a I don't want to be sucked into smoking marijuana. Right. And b I've influenced people to not smoke weed, to actually smoke a cigar with me and have a better time smoking a cigar than right. they would have getting the buzz of smoking weed. And it's just, it's really not worth it when you can be doing something that's so much better and so much less destructive. That is a great, great point, Samuel. I am delighted that you, you made that point. That is exactly right. Our sick, sick, and it is sick, it is morally sick, and it is preposterous. The lumping of tobacco with drugs like marijuana or even heavier drugs. The California Department of, uh, I don't know what it is, Department of Health, I think it was, billboard after billboard equating smoking with drugs. You truly, I'm sorry, I, I will lose listeners on this. It is so moronic, that statement. It is so moronic that that you frighten me. If you believe that they are equatable in any way, then you, you it, it, I am blown away. I have no coherent reaction because I am livid. The damage that the health authorities and the anti-smoking zealots, and these are zealot, these are fanatics who scare the living daylights out of me. The the these anti-smoking crusaders, they are frightening to me. And they, their equation of the two, I have had parents call my show and tell me that between marijuana and a, and a cigarette, they, could, they would flip a coin. What is going on here? One messes with your brain, my dear friends, messes with your brain. Okay, Samuel, you really got me started on that. All righty, let's go to uh, West L.A. and Phil. Hello, Phil. Dennis Prager. Ah, hello. How are you? Okay, I'm well. Haven't talked to you since Religion on the Line. That's uh, that's uh, history. That is history. <laughs> right. Um, I, I have smoked uh, over probably most of my life. Um, I quit about four years ago. What did you smoke? I smoked cigarettes, I smoked cigars, and I smoked pipes. Okay, and, and I you occasionally smoke marijuana. <laughs> uh huh. And... Um, but a lot of the times when I was uh, in the process of quitting smoking cigarettes, I would switch to cigars. And you probably I... inhaled as little as possible. But well... I'm absolutely sure you can get um, um, nicotine through the membranes. In oh, your there's no doubt in my mind you can. I-, I-, I will never deny science. We'll be back in a moment. All righty, everybody, you're listening to the Dennis Prager Show. I am devoting this hour to a subject. I wonder if there, if any of you know, email me or call, obviously. Has any talk show host with a national show in this country explained 
uh, why he smokes. <laughs> of course, I don't smoke cigarettes. I smoke a pipe and cigar. I have since I'm 15 years of age in high school. And I'm explaining to you the joys of it, the social joys and the pure taste joys, the relaxation. Uh, my my own suspicion is that it, in fact, is probably uh, helping me live longer. Uh, that which uh, has such a good effect, talk to people, relax. Uh, why, why, why do we find it non-problematic that people drink? And now, of course, we even find that drinking is good for you in moderation. See, I'm a big believer in moderate vice. I, I have made this point. We talked about poker. Remember, we had a, an hour on the, on the subject of poker and how big it is in America today. Now, people point, and correctly, to people who gamble irresponsibly, and that's a terrible thing, or people who spend much too much time playing poker or otherwise gambling, and that's a terrible thing, too. Time is a, is a, is a very important commodity, and there is a moral character to time, no question. But uh, people who uh, want to have some pleasure uh, at a poker table, or at a blackjack table or roulette wheel, what do I care? What, what is, you know, I've often said this, and it's worth saying again, I am not interested in producing saints. I'm, introducing, I'm, I'm interested in helping make good people, not saints. And so that has been, that's a factor that I, I bring to, uh, to your attention as well because of my belief in what, what I would call moderate advice. It's in my book on happiness. Okay, let's uh, continue here. One eight Prager seven seven six one eight P R A G E R seven seven six, and Saint Paul and Lori. Hello, Lori. Dennis Hi. Prager. Hi. Hi, Dennis. How are you today? Okay, thank you. Say, you know, I've got to tell you that um, I have just started smoking cigars in the last few months. Not only because you said you enjoy them and I wanted to try them, but all this anti-smoking zealotry. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll, you know, it's kind of like, well, I'll fix you. Yeah. And I have started to enjoy them. I have approximately one a week on a Friday or a Saturday night with, with a beer after a long week. And I enjoy it so much. I, I like the Santa Rosa's, kind of the, the milder type and the Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet's. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you mm-hmm. on a Friday, um, one of the free-for-all Fridays that you have, mm-hmm. what type do you like? What kind? Well, part of the joy for me is tasting new ones. It's like asking me what food do I like, and none of us only eats one food. We try to taste new ones and have variations, really variations on the ones that we like. If you if you like pasta, you'll like all you know, with pesto, and you like all sure. sorts of different ways of preparing it, uh-huh. uh, or or any food that one likes. So too, uh, I personally like the opposite of you. I like the very strong. Uh, the more, the stronger and the fuller bodied and, uh, Maduro or something. Uh, well, Maduro, but Maduro has a distinctive taste, which I'm not always a fan of. So more of a natural wrapper that is, uh, that has full body. And that I find in Nicaraguan and Honduran cigars today, primarily the ones that you probably like are, are Dominican Republic. Well, last week, one of our, our cigar shops here, which if you can come to the fair, I will bring you one from there. I, I will be at the fair. Good. They had a uh, Perdomo uh, representative, and they had hand rollers there. And it oh, was yeah. very interesting to watch. It is a lot of fun to watch. I had that in Puerto Rico a couple of months ago. Thank you, and, and enjoy yourself. 
I must admit, I have, I'm not used to seeing women smoke cigars. I have to admit it. But on the other hand, I don't want women to uh, be confined only to cigarettes, so I, I have an appreciation. But I, I, I do associate it so much with men in my mind that I'm, I'm still having to adjust in that area. I'm just being totally open uh, with uh, all of you. All right, and uh, Luke, Luke in Woodland Hills, California, Dennis Prager. Hi. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, remember the with Natalie Wood in the Great Race? No. Well, she's smoking a cigar. Okay. She's a surfer jet. Anyway, um, yeah, I think smoking is, is a virtue. Um, how did you like the Latakia blend I gave you in Agora when you spoke there? I loved it, in fact. Fantastic. Yes, it is. Um, I'd like to pass along the, uh, the writer Christopher Morley. Yep. He wrote a lot about uh, smoking. He talked about walking down the street and holding uh, his coat over his head so he could smell the, the aroma instead of the wind blowing it away. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to look into that. Now, listen, folks, I really want calls from those of you who don't like what I'm saying. 1-8-Prager-776. All righty, everybody, you're listening to the Dennis Prager Show. And here comes the uh, announcement from the announcer. Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to hear living evidence of the fact that Dennis Prager talks about everything in life on his program. My friends, I am about to offer a heretical thought about manners. And here goes. I think that it is wrong to expect people when being served hot food at a table, be it at a home or especially where there is there are many people at a table, such as at a, at a banquet or some sort of restaurant. I think it is wrong to force people to wait till everybody gets their food until they eat theirs. The phone number is 1-8-Prager-776. I have given this a lifetime of thought, and I have come to that conclusion based on a very simple physical premise. While you are waiting for me to get my food, yours is getting cold. Why should you be penalized for being served before I am? That's my question. To me, it is actually somewhat of a moral question, believe it or not. I mean, it is not up there with the war in Iraq. I fully acknowledge that. But I, I have never understood why you have to sit, watch your hot food get cold, so that I could eat my hot food immediately. And if you have a good explanation for that, I think that 90% of people listening to this argument will agree with me, and nobody will change. Because it shows you the power of social pressure. You don't start eating until everybody is served their food. But why? Why is it discourteous? Why is it not courteous for you to start eating while I'm waiting for mine? I don't feel insulted. I actually feel self-conscious watching your food get cold. It happens all the time because I I am a speaker at many banquets. And I'm at a table. There, Let's say there are 10 people at the table. 
and the waiters are you know they have their they have a chore to do they have a lot of people to serve and there will be often 5 minutes between getting their food or getting my food doesn't matter who gets it first and, and the, the last person at the table in the meantime the person has just had to watch the smoke die away yes the steam is gone and what they wanted, the soup that they wanted to have nice and hot and anyway, got cool anyway on the way out from the kitchen because there's so much served at a banquet. So I'd like to know, I'd like to know, are you insulted? I want you to know what I do. This is what I do. When I am at a table, and I, I always hope that I am served last because then I, then it's, it, I show it's not self-serving, no pun intended, but I actually announce to the people who got their food, Please start eating. I see no moral or manner-based or etiquette-based reason for you to have cold food while I have hot food. Furthermore, I am not insulted if I am not eating while you are. I don't understand why anybody would be insulted. I figure by the end of my soliloquy, they're so sick of my arguments that they'll actually start eating. But you have no idea. There are two types of reactions massive, massive relief. And, uh, and uh, or the other is, they're just, it's a lifetime of habit, and the, the thought that they would begin eating prior to my or other people at the table getting their food is just too much. Now, I can't do it. I don't have the guts, I guess, to say, folks, I just want to announce I am beginning because I just think it's wrong for my food to get cold while you who gets served last, get to have it hot. But I can't do that. So I am making a plea. I am making a plea for anyone who is not served first to announce, please don't wait. And you make this, make this moral argument. A little way in which I think we can make a better world. Let's see what you folks have to say on this, because it absolutely cracks me up uh, that uh, I don't know why. What I wouldn't be, I don't even understand the concept of being insulted if you start eating. What are you supposed to do? Stare at your food? I actually think it's heard. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's what, what is the word I want to say? Not heard, not hurt, not hard. Maybe hard. Hmm. All right, let's go. Minneapolis, Tim, Dennis Prager. Hello, uh, Minneapolis, Tim. Tim, are you there? Well, that's something. Tim is not there, okay? We'll clear that line, and we will go to Redwood City, Redwood City, California. Paul, hello, Paul. Hey, how you doing, Dennis? Okay, thanks. Hey, um, this could be a episode for Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but I no, I'm not. But I but I think I got the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know every when 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 you're at a dinner table and there's food being served and you get served last. Even as a host or a guest, you always feel a little bad that you haven't received your food. So I think that's where the whole you do whole custom comes. You from. do, yeah. It 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 it, it comes. It's just it's something primal uh, in every human. I think. Oh, when, that's so easy. Now I'm so happy I raised this issue. That's fascinating. So you feel left out when you observe someone, especially if you're starving. If you observe someone at the dinner table eating, and you don't have your food yet. There's just something deep down inside that makes you feel a little bad that you haven't had your food yet. 
And I think that's where that custom comes. But as a host, what you mentioned, I think it's, it's, it's imperative that you say, please eat. Please go ahead and start. So as a host, I always say. Yeah, but you know what? Unless I, I have heard that, but nobody does it. What you need to do is give a reason. When you give a reason, say, please start. There is no reason for you to have colder food than I do. That's good. I agree. I, I, I think I think it's it's nice to be very to explain why you need to start. And actually, I've started. I've, I've actually been in a situation where the host has said, "Go ahead and start eating." Good, it. good. Well, that that's good to hear. That that's what I am making that plea, folks. But the thing is, there's no host at at a dinner when you're when you're out at. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of you were not at as many of these things as I am because I, I speak at so many. But, but I, I see it all the time at these at these you know dinners, banquets, and so on, where an entire table will be seated, and people, I'm telling you, five minutes at least before the first and last person gets their hot food, and I oh, I feel terrible. So uh, unless I'm the person to get the food first, and there's only a one out of ten chance I will, I make this announcement even though I'm not the host or anything. But again, I'm, you know, a little, I guess, more assertive in that area. I don't, I don't know. All right. Oh, now there's an interesting explanation here. Here we go. Let's go to Hal in Sherman Oaks, California. Hal Dennis Prager. Well, thank you. I, I think the appropriate protocol is if you're going to have a blessing, a prayer, so to speak, uh, right before eating, that, that it's more important to have the blessing as a group be- so that someone has lower temperature food. And if we're not going to have a blessing, then it's proper etiquette. And, uh, I agree with you. The host should say, you know, don't let your food get yeah, cold. Yeah, but as I say, at a dinner, uh, you know, there's no host at, at a banquet sort of or a dinner thing where people, you know, get together or, or at a wedding and not just banquets, you know, at a wedding. There's no host at the table at, at a wedding table. So, so um, uh, in other words, uh, there's no formal uh, group. It's not a, the whole the group of tables. It's just an individual table. Yeah, exactly. And so, so uh, it's, it's up to somebody to stand up and either give a prayer or say, start eating. That's right. Yes, that, yes I, think, I think people should be aware of that. Also, can't you say can't you could say your opening prayer on on a piece of bread that's at the table, right? It doesn't it doesn't have to be on the first course. That's true. You're right. So so, so you even so even that is uh, is I think solved. But it's a, it's a good point. It's just one of these little things that occur in daily life. But you know what? You know why I raised it? Uh, I guess it's my I'm I'm very rational, and I don't like to see irrationality prevail. And I have thought about this. I've seen people do it. And, and again, I just, I don't have any of the bad feelings. I actually, do you know, I, I actually like when people start eating when they get their food and I didn't get mine yet. I actually like it. It, it makes it, I don't know. And I, and I like formality, by the way. I do. You know that. I believe deeply in people dressing up for occasions. I am a big uh, uh, opponent of people going to church or synagogue in in, uh, casual clothing. But uh, this one, all right, we'll take some more calls. Got a lot to talk to you about, but it's it's a fascinating little sliver of life. 1-8-Prager-776. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show. All right, it is time to make a better society. This is Dennis Prager. It is time. Here is my appeal to you. If you are with a group of people, hot food is being served, and 
you are not served first. You have the moral authority to announce, please, please start eating. There is no reason for you to be penalized for getting your food first and therefore having to eat it when it's cold. Dennis Prager here, and true to his word, talk about everything in life. Do you know what, by the way, sociologically, you know what I find fascinating? This is this it, this goes against what I would have predicted. Every caller in, and the lines are full, but you should still keep trying because people people just you know die off and so on. I don't mean you know they don't die off. You know they, their call dies off. Uh, everyone is a man. It's very interesting to me. This is a this is a topic I would have thought at least fifty fifty. Every single one. Tom, Bert, Rob, Matt, John, and Matt. Also, they're all one syllable. That is of no consequence whatsoever, none. But it's fun. It's fun to note. Uh, I I have made this. Uh, some of you are thinking, I can't believe this guy has passion on this subject. I know that. I know that. I am. I am opening up my vulnerability here with what may appear to be to some of you idiosyncratic. But you know what? I admit it, and that is, it is one of my characteristics, which is both a blessing and a curse. I I am sure. But I I try to think through everything, and this bugs me. You have your food, and you have to wait till I get mine for no good reason on earth. Okay. Anyway, let's uh, let's see here. And now, now this is impractical. Tom in Scottsdale, go ahead. But I, 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 I it doesn't doesn't seem to work. Go ahead. Dennis, you're cracking me up. This is as funny as talking about singing the happy song. Oh, good. Oh, that was, a, that, that was one of the great moments on the show. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, I, here's what I think. I, I do this. I, I entertain a lot when I travel on business, and I think people do get very uncomfortable eating in front of other people when the other people aren't eating. Oh. Have you thought of that? Yes, that's a good point. And I, I certainly do. I don't. What, what I try to do is I instruct, I try to very carefully and quietly instruct the server, because I'm normally paying, to bring all the food at the same time. To, to strive How to do, do you that. bring all the food at the same time? I mean, you have to have eight waiters. No, no, but they bring. It's not like you're going to wait a long time if they have to go back to the kitchen and quickly bring food out. But normally, I, when I tell you, I bed, have rarely been at a wedding, a banquet, a dinner, uh, at a table of eight, ten people, where people have been served pretty much at the same time. Well, I, I guess it depends on the event. I'm talking about in a traditional restaurant setting. Oh, well, that's true. They wait till it's all ready. Yeah, and generally they will, but a lot of times you'll see, well, the steak's not done right or it's not done yet or yeah, someone right. ordered a salad for their dinner. Or whatever. Yeah, that's right. They bring it all out at the same time so we don't have somebody eating their salad and then they're sitting there the rest of the time looking at you while you're eating. Oh, so you would feel funny eating while people looked at you. Yeah, I do feel funny. Though. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> You know, because I, I, I office alone, so when I travel on business, is my only interaction with people for the most part. So, right. I, you know, when I travel, I, I have a hard time eating in a restaurant by myself. You do? Yeah, I do. That, Alan, put that down as one of the great topics. I have to admit, I am, I am a people person, absolutely, totally. But I must say, one of the joys of life has always been for me bringing a good reading material and eating out. 
You have to bring reading material. Oh, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Stare, stare at your table? Of course. Right. I mean, uh, without reading material, it's, it's, it's impossible. Dennis, thanks, buddy. Thank you very much. Uh, this is cracking me up. All right, let's see here. Uh, okay, Rob doesn't agree either. Rob in Dallas. Hello, Rob. Dennis Prager. Hi, Rob. Uh, uh, hi, Dennis. Sorry. I love that. Uh, that is my favorite I, I thing on talk radio. I used to go by Robert when I shortened my name to Rob, then I, I switched sides. No, I'm just joking. You said everybody that disagreed yeah. you had one syllable name. I thought <laughs> it was on that basis. Okay, so how no, did no, you? No. Blo- but, but how did you blow think, the? How, how did you blow the high Rob? I I got I went to work for a guy who had a who uh, had a guy before me named Rob, and he asked me if he could call me Rob because it would save him the trouble learning a new name. I said sure. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Uh, in a million years, I wouldn't start eating before you were served. Um, it, it just wouldn't happen. It may be a southern thing, uh, but it's really not to make you feel comfortable. It's to make me feel comfortable. I mean, I'm as selfish as the next guy, but I just don't, you know, want somebody staring at me or even, you know, averting his eyes to not stare at me while I'm while I'm chomping down. There's something kind of carnal and, and, and vulgar about it, I mean, unless other people are doing it. So we- you actually feel that the reason for this rule is to protect the one who might be eating first, not the one who isn't eating. Sure. I mean, I'll that's, I, you see, that's why I say I always learn from my show. I had never thought of that, that yeah, it so protects you, the person who served first from having to be stared at. Dennis, do you feel comfortable eating by yourself? You mean at a table of 10 people? Yeah, you're served first. And well, they say, Please, I, listen, Dennis, you're going to start eating. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you will. <laughs> you, you you would feel uncomfortable. About it. I I would. I I don't. First, I I I have confidence that I eat with my mouth closed, so I, I'm not worrying about food dribbling. All well, right. Okay. So I've... that that so if I'm stared at while eating, uh, I mean I'm going to be stared at while eating, even when you're eating. Dennis, you're, 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 you're fumbling like Howard Dean on Chris Matthews talking about abortion last night. You know you would feel uncomfortable doing it. Even if we weren't staring at you, we would be averting our eyes and be pretending. And you know we'd be thinking, look at that guy, the crude guy eating all You're our- right. That's why I admitted it. I don't do it because I know you will think that I'm a bore. That's why I said the moral obligation is on the folks who didn't get their food to tell the folks who did, please eat. I agree with you. I never start eating the moment served at that table. That's I why I pray I'm not the first person served. As soon as one person is served, I make my announcement. Please start eating. Why should you have to have cold food? How, now, why do you think of that? Why should you have to have? Well, I, I shouldn't have to have cold food, but I don't, I don't know that that advances the inquiry any. I mean, I, you know. I shouldn't have cold food, but it's not making me feel any more comfortable or gracious. Okay, I understand. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me. I thank you. That does. I now, this is a total new, what do they say, ripple on this issue? That That is, a, 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 it's an aspect I have never considered. That it, it's not that it protects the folks who didn't get their food. It protects the folks who did get their food from being self-conscious and being stared at while eating. But, of course, we're all stared at while eating, even while the other is eating. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that needs to be factored in. But I, I, I need to announce, lest you think that I, I'm really uh, 
out of the mainstream. I do not eat if I am the first served. But if I'm not first served, and remember, I have a 1 out of 8, 1 out of 10, 1 out of 12 chance, depending on the table. I immediately make announcement, even as total strangers. I don't make the announcement because I'm Dennis Prager. I make the announcement just as one member of a table. It could be a wedding where I know nobody else at the table. And I'll say, you know what, why don't, why don't you begin? We don't want you to have to wait till your food gets cold. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Dennis Prager Show. On the show where we talk about everything in life, The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, this is Dennis. And I have offered a suggestion, something that I have incorporated into my life because I speak at many banquets, dinners, and, of course, all of you have gone to banquets, dinners, and then there's weddings and bar mitzvahs and all that sort of stuff that people attend social events where people sit at uh, you know a table of 10 or so, and then there's hot food, and person A gets the hot food, and the poor soul has to wait till the last person at the table gets their hot food. Meantime, his hot food is no longer hot food. So I suggest that those of us who didn't get served first really make it a point to say with conviction Please don't wait for the rest of us. You should, and I say this, you shouldn't be penalized by happen, happening to get your food first. But now you folks have added a very interesting element, that you would feel self-conscious being the only one at the table eating. Well, you wouldn't be the only one because if just two of you started, you wouldn't be the only one. I admit if you're the only one, it is it is self-conscious making. I acknowledge that. Now, I have another question here apropos of this subject. So we may have to clear some lines if uh, if there are no what we call ethnics calling. I want to know what the story is in your social realm if you are what we call ethnic. If you're an Italian family, a Jewish family, a... Uh, uh, a Hispanic family, you know, basically anything other than white Anglo-Saxon Protestant family, if uh, uh, how you would govern this thing, or does it make any difference in a Greek family? Whatever, uh, that would be very interesting to see if this rule also applies in those type of homes. All righty, let's go. The fir- Finally, a woman, oh, no, there are two women. Finally, a woman got in. Melanie in Dallas. Hello, Melanie. Dennis Prager. Hi, Dennis. Hi. I'm so glad you're talking about this subject. I am from a Hispanic family, and my passion in life is to cook. So whenever I hold a dinner, it pains me that people sit and wait, let the food get cold. So I believe it's ultimately the responsibility of the host to let you know to please go ahead and enjoy your food. You know, is this is awesome. This is now another idea to be put into this, uh, uh, even a moral idea. You, the cook, want your food eaten hot. I want it. I oh, that's great. Not that... to enjoy my food. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. That finally answers the other guy who just raised the issue about eating alone. No way. I have no problem eating alone, and I know that my family would love to, or any of my guests, would love to enjoy my food as it was warm. I, I love it. This is fa- Thank you so much. I am so Thanks. happy I took her call. <laughs> 
You know what this shows? You see, this, this is what I love. I love when a topic that seems so simple is, in fact, not simple at all. Look at all of the considerations that go into the question of whether or not you should eat when served. The cook's feelings, the eater's feelings, the non-eater's feelings, the temperature of, of hot food. Oh, and, oh prayer. I mean, think of all of the considerations on a simple issue. Do you know there are people who know my who know me personally? Obviously, well, I think a lot of you know me personally. It's, it don't know me personally, but know me well. I need you to know that, just as a side factor. This is Dennis. What you get here, there is no other Dennis, as it were. But it, it, it that is my my mind were, loves this stuff. That's why do you know I just realized something. That's that's a that's a reason I guess I'm never bored. I'm never bored. You see, I never have nothing to do because even if I have nothing to do, I'm figuring out something that's happening around me. This is not a boast. It's just simply the way in which my mind works, and I suggest this to everybody. Think about something that is happening around you and try to analyze what's happening, and you can, you can just about never be bored. But this, this is truly an issue that has fascinated me. And now you realize why. There is more to it than even I had thought. So we'll take more of your calls. And again, some ethnics. If, and if we, uh, so if we bump off a couple that may not be ethnics, I'd be very curious to know if the, what is the rule that applies there. But I love this. Poor, I, I know what it, how, it, on, on, I don't cook, but I know how a cook would feel. Usually it's a she, but whether it's a he or a she, has, has worked so hard to have the food be warm. That's the, when it's at its tastiest, and you're sitting there waiting for the 10th person to be ser- served while it gets cold. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Dennis Prager. You are listening to the best of the Dennis Prager Show. Okay, my friends, you're listening to the Dennis Prager Show, the ultimate issues hour, the hour each week that I devote to life's great questions. And today's great question, and it really is a big one, that I I almost never hear addressed, even though I have had people ask me this my my whole life. I have made the argument for leading a religious life. I mean, it is is part of the part of my my aim in life is to make a rational case to people to lead a religious life, a God-centered life. And and then people call me and write me so frequently. Well, I I I agree with you. I've come to realize the significance of 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 God. Uh, I've rationally come to accept uh, that there is a God, in fact, and I want, I want to lead a religious life. And by the way, by religious folks, I don't mean spiritual. I mean religious in the literal understanding of the term, active within a religion. And so people will say, I'd like to, I'd like to in fact, lead a religious life, but Dennis, what religion? So I would like to answer the question Remember, I'm very precise and, and, and narrowly focused here. I'm not now making the case for God. That will, we'll do that in a different Ultimate Issues Hour. But on the assumption that you have decided 
that you would like to lead a life active in some religion, but you just don't have any right now. You're not a member of any, or you don't believe in any given religion right now, or, or for that matter, a lot of them seem very appealing to you. What would the guidelines that I would offer you, I, Dennis, would offer you? Now, I am very fair in this matter because I don't really care. I care somewhat, but I don't, I don't have an agenda as to what you pick so long as you, it brings you to the God that I, that I believe is the God of the, of the universe who has created the world, who has given us the Ten Commandments. I have very basic views. But be, beyond that, whichever religion within that context you, you pick, and if, if you pick it outside of that context, you pick outside. I, I, I am non-coercive in this matter. But I want to give you, I want to give you some guidelines of a lifetime of dealing with people on this matter that may help you. And you are obviously free to reject them, and you can call in and ask me, uh, challenge me, or you can offer different uh, answers to people who will have that question. Remember, here is the issue specifically. Not is there a God. That is not the issue of this hour. This hour is, let us say, that you would like to get involved in a religion. But there are so many, Dennis, which do I pick? So funny, the lines are lit, and I haven't even answered the question yet. <laughs> oh, it's all right, what are we going to do? No problem. No problem. Number one, guideline number one that I would offer to you is, ideally, you should try to stay with the religion of your family, the religion that you were, even if it's tangentially, raised in. That's my first guideline. That the default position ought to be the religion that you were raised in. That's the default. But there is a very big counter to that, and that is that if you do not believe it, or you have you have in fact tried it, you have in fact studied it, you have given it its fair chance, and for for intellectual reasons, you cannot accept it, okay, then then that is not the religion for you. But most people who don't have a religion, it's it's they they haven't really lived or studied the religion that they were raised in or that their that their family holds. Now, the reason, and, and, and so th- they really need to first, the first one you should study, the first one that you should give a try to is the one in which your family finds itself, your, the family that you were raised with. And the reason I say that is utterly pragmatic. It's the one that you, you, will, you will have the most comfort with. It is the, it is the one that will have the least wrenching uh, 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 in, involved in that you are you are still at least for your parents who might be culturally or whatever or even deeply committed you will at least have that bond and why sever that bond if you don't have to so please so my first guideline is study the religion that you were raised in or that your family had and you were not raised particularly and if you if you study it or you have already studied it and you have already lived it 
and you cannot uh, you cannot uh, buy its tenets, then of course you it's a free country. That's one of the great things about freedom, is that we are free to choose our path to God. So I I I have no problem with that. It's the people who have not lived, not studied the religion of their of their upbringing, and then and then reject it and then go on this search. I love the search. The search is a noble thing, and a free society like America should be proud of itself that it that it enables people to search. And you're not coerced. You're not killed if you convert to another religion in this country. Thank God for that. It's one of the greatnesses of America. There's a lot of religious fluidity in this country of people going from Protestant to Catholic and or 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 from x or y to jew or what have you it's it's it just it happens and there are people who take on buddhism i mean and anything happens in this country that that's fine it's a rich tapestry of religiosity in this country and I, and i and i welcome that but i do i do believe that when you embark on study that you start with the religion that you may have rejected from childhood. Because when you were a child, you could not intellectually really understand what is going on. I mean, I'll give you an example. The number of, of ex-Catholics that I have met. And why, you, why have you rejected the church? Because the, nun, the, the way the nun treated me, a nun treated me when I was in Catholic school. I remember I remember talking to an 80-year-old man who had been estranged from the church for 65 years because when he was a young teen, some nun wrapped his knuckles with a ruler. And I didn't think that that was a very persuasive theological reason to reject 2,000 years of church history tradition because he was still ticked off at a nun. So, I mean, and that happens, that happens in every religion. You know, there are Jews I meet. I went to Hebrew school, and, you know, all I did was throw spitballs or shoot spitballs. Uh, and so, uh, you know, or, or, or learn something in Hebrew which I didn't understand, and, you know, okay, that ends that. That's ridiculous. You're an adult now. You're supposed to entertain. Uh, you're, you're supposed to entertain intellectual ideas. So, number one. If you have not lived and studied the religion of your family, that's where you should begin, is to, is to study and live and give a, give, a, give a chance to that religion. Now, as I say, if you have and rejected it, that's the way the world turns. But you, ha- you have your first intellectual and emotional debt is to that, in my opinion. Number two, again, the topic here on this issue of the Ultimate Issues Hour is how do I find a religion now that you are interested in doing so? So that was guideline number one. Guideline number two is I am a big believer that your intellect, your mind, must uh, must be in the forefront of the decision-making. The mind is God's blessing to the human being. We should use it. And so you, I, I, you need, you owe yourself. The, the deepest obligation you have here is to study. 
learn uh, learn about that religion, a given religion. The first one that I would I would opt for is the one that would keep you in the same religion as your family. But whatever the religion is, or or the number of religions, you you owe it to yourself to read, to study that that religion. I mean, this is a very big deal in your life. You spend a lot of time perhaps working out or perhaps trying to find the right person to marry or preparing yourself for the right job. You should spend a lot of time preparing yourself for the right religion. And I'll continue with suggestions and take your calls at 1-8-Prager-776. How do I choose a religion? How do I pick one? Is the subject of this Ultimate Issues Hour on the Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. This is the Ultimate Issues Hour, an hour each week devoted to the great questions of life. This, this hour is devoted to this question. Let's say that you are not involved in any religion at this time, but over time you have come to appreciate uh, or even come to believe really that there is probably or even most likely a God, and you would like to lead a religious life, not just one where you believe in God, but become involved in a religion. How do you pick one? So my first guideline was to study and experience the religion of your upbringing. That's the, that's the one you owe your first debt to, as it were, and it's good for your family life. So if you can, if you can enjoy and believe in that one, then, that, then that's the best place to be. But if you did study and did experience that religion, and I mean as an adult, I don't mean as, as, as an 11-year-old, uh, then I believe that you should, uh, you obviously have other, other criteria. And I am a big believer in the mind. You study other religions, and you see which one, I guess, meets at least two criteria. One, you find to be rationally persuasive that it is a way to lead your life, and that you believe, B, that it is essentially true. And I say essentially true because if you are, uh, if you are going to pursue religion based uh, a religion based on one criterion and that is is it which one is entirely true then you may end up with nothing because i, I don't even understand what entirely true means that there there, there is no human uh, addition whatsoever into any aspect of it that may that may render it less than than 100% true there are many of you listening for whom that is the criterion. God bless you. That is not my criterion. Is it 100% true? Religion is a vehicle to God and goodness. That is my definition of good religion. Does it? And that's, that brings me to my third point. It's not only the intellect. You have to see how it, how it works out in real life. Look at the people who, who practice it. Do you admire them? I mean, every religion has jerks, and every religion has wonderful people. But by and large, do do you have do do you have admiration? Do you even have chemistry with people at at a at a given house of worship? Let us say that that counts for a lot. Religion is, after all, what we practice in this life, and therefore, therefore, the practitioners are important. 
religion doesn't exist on paper alone. It exists in the life of the religious. So see see what what religious people inspire you. And and that should be it, it not can't be the only factor because you could meet religious people who inspire you and think the religion is nonsense. In fact, that, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. It's my dark humor. Believe me, there. Everybody listening, everyone listening who has taken this subject seriously into his or her life knows people who are wonderful who have, in their view, cuckoo beliefs. So it's that's why you need a number of criteria. It's not enough to like the people, admire the people even, in any given religion, because you just may say, well, they're wonderful, but frankly, I just can't believe what they believe. It, it just, it, it, you know, I find it uh, intellectually unacceptable. Okay. On the other hand, you may find something intellectually acceptable and, and not be able to, to live with any of the people that practice it. So these are some of the criteria. I remember a statement made uh, uh, in in regard to what I was just saying by a German-Jewish philosopher named Ernst Simon. And I believe that was he. And he said, I have a big problem. The people I pray with I can't talk to, and the people I can talk to I can't pray with. And I'll bet a lot of you resonate to that. So you see, it's a complex question. It is complex. Which brings me to a... Uh, another suggestion, and then I will take your calls. There is one caveat in all of this, one warning, and that is don't take your whole lifetime. You can search your whole lifetime, but you've got to live your lifetime and not just search during your lifetime. You may never come to a fully 100% affirmation of, of any given religious life, but you've got to you've got to live something in the meantime. You still I you still should make that choice. Okay, let's go to uh, Roy, Roy in Dallas. Hi, Roy. Dennis Prager. Thanks for calling. Hey, Dennis. Yeah. Dennis, I just have to say I love your mind. Thank you. And I love the man it comes in. Oh, wow. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you. I, Dennis, can I, I want to make my statement that I called about, and right. also I wanted to kibitz with you just for a very brief time, if I could. Go ahead. Uh, I want to ask if you will please come to Dallas and do a Prager Perspective Mixer, a social mixer, for all the people that would love to meet you and meet other people who love you. I, I love the idea. I'm a big, big fan, as everybody knows, of Texas and of Dallas and Houston, and I would love to do that. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, and, by the way, in San Antonio, folks, I don't want you to feel left out, but, I, but I have, I've, always, I've had a long connection to Dallas. Just, uh, you suggest that to K-Sky, and I'm sure we'll work it out. Okay? You got it, my friend. Okay. Now, my point was and is... As the Almighty Creator, doesn't He get to tell us how He wants to be worshipped by His creation instead of us figuring out how we want to yes, worship Him? Yes, do- He does get to tell us, but in light of the fact that there are different versions of what He tells us, 
Remember, once yes, you once the, you believe that version X is is the way God spoke, then then you've chosen your religion. I'm talking to the people who don't know which one is quote unquote the correct version. Well, how can they know when the Bible's been so tampered with? Well, well, then then that's why I say that they whether it's been tampered with or not, Roy, that's why I'm saying to people these are my criteria to help you choose. A start with the study and live the one you were raised with. If that does not intellectually satisfy you or theologically satisfy you, you you try another one, but you have to study. And and I believe that God has given us minds where where good people can come to good conclusions. Now, this may trouble some of you, but I don't believe there is only one road to the good God who gave the Ten Commandments. I don't. And so, therefore, that's why I'm, I, I'm, I'm capable of even doing this hour. Because I don't have a one-agenda religion here. Even though I am personally, actively, and believing in my religion, which happens to be Judaism. But I don't believe Judaism is the only way to touch that God and to lead a godly life. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here on a really tough, a really tough subject. But the tough subjects are the ones that we precisely need to address. This is the Ultimate Issues Hour. Every week at this time, I devote an hour to some great ultimate issue, some great question of life this one is let's say you you do you're now an adult and you have concluded at least tentatively by golly there probably is a god and you know what it is a richer life to lead a religious life not just believe in god and 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 that's it but to actually be active in a religion and then you wonder gee well how do i choose one there are so many out there and i've given you a number of criteria can't re- repeat everything because I want to take a lot of calls, but I will. I will summarize at the end of the hour all of the all of the criteria, all of the suggestions that I made to you. And let's go. But again, I have a very big belief in the intellect that God gave us a mind, and that's that's one factor. It's not the only factor, because people live religions, and you have to also see how they're lived, not not just how they sound on paper. Because it's easy to make a great case for any. By the way, talking about uh, uh, such matters, uh, there is a terrific writer, C.S. Lewis. Uh, I have done similar things vis-a-vis Judaism in, in my writings, especially in my tapes and my book, The Nine Questions People Ask About Judaism. C.S. Lewis uh, has done magnificent things on behalf of Christianity and is well known to so many of you. And there are others who have written for other various religions. And you should, in fact, grapple with the best advocates, as well as the, re- the, the reality of life among believers. The, if there is a big, big disconnect between uh, the, a great uh, apologist and the, and the life of, of the adherents of the religion, well, you have to deal with that too. Okay, and let's go to uh, some calls here. Fremont, California, Chris. Hello, Chris Dennis Prager. Hey, uh, thanks, Dennis, for taking my call. I appreciate that. Thank you for uh, I am a, a pastor of a Baptist church here in Fremont, California, so obviously uh, I'm pretty convinced about uh, what I believe. But it was interesting, I caught on our local news here a couple nights ago, they did a special report on uh, uh, this growing phenomenon of people 
adopting multiple religions. They did a special report on a man who was who was a Jew uh, by birth and by original religion, I guess, but he had also adopted uh, and incorporated into his religion many tenets of Buddhism. And uh, they were talking about how this was just a growing phenomenon and things like that. And I was wondering if I could just get uh, your take on, you know, what would cause Well, there's actually that. a name for Jews who adopt Buddhism. They're called Jubus. That, that's the name they used. And yeah, that's, that, that's, that's right. It, it's, it's, I've always said Jews are, even though the Jews are the most secular of the, of the groups that we tend to, to poll, the truth is the Jews are, are among the most religious in the world. The problem is that for most of them, their religion isn't Judaism. <laughs> Buddhism, liberalism, feminism, environmentalism, uh, you, you name it, but not Judaism. So uh, it's, it's, it is a phenomenon. This notion of being in two religions is a bit odd to me, uh, except when they don't, you know, it's one thing to say, and I would say this, I have learned a lot from Buddhism, but I'm not a Buddhist. Right. Uh, I, I don't syncretize the two. Uh, there is a, there's a very interesting statement. You, I think you would you would like this actually. I believe that it's from the Talmud, the the the, the second holiest book in Judaism after the Bible. And the, what is said there is that you should you should. I'm translating from the Hebrew. That's the reason for my hesitation. Wisdom in the nations you should believe, but the Torah of the nations don't believe. In other words, take all the wisdom from all other groups, all other cultures, all other religions. Take whatever wisdom you can you can bring in, right. but but you have your Torah, and I believe that that would apply to any religion. Uh, you, as a Baptist minister, you I I have to believe that you are open to wisdom from everyone, right? But you're not going to change your basic theology and right. faith uh, to incorporate another religion. Right. Yeah. Well, or that con- or contradict my, my Yes, faith, exactly. So. That's right. So, you, you know, I mean, if a Jew adopts the Buddhist view that there is no personal God, there is no creator God, then then that that you can't you can't say that that's part of Judaism. A, a Jew like anybody else can adopt any any idea he wants. It's a free country, thank God. But but you, you cannot you cannot say well I've incorporated that particular belief into into Judaism they're, they're, that's a mutually exclusive notion that particular one. Thank you, uh, Pastor uh, Chris. Uh, we will return for your calls and more on how does one pick a religion if one doesn't have one now. Final segment of this particular edition of the Ultimate Issues Hour, the hour each week devoted to the great question, some great question of life. On the Dennis Prager Show, I'm Dennis Prager. Thanks for being with me. I have, in the course of my life's work, if it had to be summarized, and I I, I don't think it can be in one sentence, but but if I had to summarize it, one of the major themes of my life's work is to show, is to demonstrate is to provide the evidence of the the negative consequences of secularism. That with all of the evils done in the name of God and by religion it, or by religious people, uh, nevertheless, there is no hope uh, in a God in a godless future. None. And Western Europe is my living example as it uh, as it disappears, both physically and and as a force for good in the world. 
Now, a lot of you have been touched by that and by others, not just by me. And now as you get older, and I don't mean, you know, turn 80, but I I, I mean turn 30. Uh, You may start realizing, especially when you make a family, gee, I I would like to have a religious life. And my criteria have been, for those of you on the search, one, first, study and try to experience the religion that you were raised with. Give that, give that the first crack at your allegiance. Number two, while for some people they will be, uh, they will be bowled over by one religion and be certain this is the truth, for many people that, that may not be available. And they will have to make a relative, which is fine with me, by the way, a relative decision. I will live by that religion, uh, but uh, while, even while I entertain uh, some doubts about tenet A or tenet B. I, I don't know almost anyone who does not have issues with his religion. They may say, look, I'm stuck with it, that's what the Bible says, or uh, I'm stuck with it, that's what the, the religious practice is, or what have you. I don't, I don't know any thinking person who is fully at peace with every tenet of, of, of his or her religion. In fact, Alan, put that down as, as a subject for the Ultimate Issues Hour. So, so if you are looking for absolute, total intellectual peace with every tenet of any given religion, you won't find it. You won't find it. Well, what is your choice to lead a life without bonding with others in, 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 in fellowship, in coming to God, in prayer, in doing good works, in having no Bible in your life, but oh, gee, they're all, they all have great and not-so-great parts? That's not, to me, a tenable choice. Good luck. It's one of the great, uh, if not the greatest choice you will make in life. This is Dennis Prager, The Ultimate Issues Hour. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the daily Dennis Prager podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.